You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. On today's episode of the DIY Sportsman Podcast, I have Steve Shirk on as a guest. Steve guides deer hunters in the vast national forest land of Pennsylvania and gathers annual observational data from a huge multitude of trail cameras in addition to visual sightings from boots on the ground scouting year-round and hunts in the fall. We finally met in person for the first time recently at a Spartan Forge retreat. With summer right around the corner, I asked Steve about scouting and trail camera tactics really specific to the summer months. One thing to note is that Steve doesn't have ag land around in the areas that he hunts, but the deer do have other summer food sources which are heavy draws in those months leading up to and in the early fall. We discussed these food sources, where and how to place cameras for inventory, water, how far a buck might shift from summer to fall, whether or not to dive into the bedding areas right now and the fall hunt locations, how Steve sets up his cameras and whether or not he does any protection for ants or bears, how often to check those cameras, observational sits, and what to do if you get a single picture of a new big buck and you want to take the next steps to hone in your search and learn more about his specific patterns going into the fall. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management. You can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo, and in many areas aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history, view public and private lands, color code your permission status on those private lands, view all of your forecasted and historical weather info, add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period, and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country. I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. And with that, let's dive back into the episode. What I wanted to, I guess, talk about today, summer plans. And for me, okay. sum, summer in the past, it's been something I've gotten more experience with and I've gotten better over the, at least the past few years. But there's a large period of time where, for my own hunting, I wasn't really doing a whole lot in the summer. Most of my scouting was just done in the spring without the leaf cover. Yeah. And then I would just figure it out once the season actually opened. But I've started to do a little bit more in the summer. Number one, because I'm just, I'm tackling bigger land than I ever had in the past. And so it's like, mm -hmm. I don't feel like I ever have enough time. So I'm trying to take every opportunity I can to get out in the woods and learn something I didn't have a time to before. 
but also sure. I'm, I'm trying to stay up on, you know, the, the various logging operations, what's gotten cut versus what wasn't cut last year and absolutely trying to, trying to figure out what I can figure out in terms of betting and trying to learn are some of these bucks that I'm seeing in October, are they actually betting really close by? Are they living in these clear cuts year round? Are they shifting? If so, how far are they shifting? And so I know with the amount of cameras you run, the amount of experience you've had hunting in PA, I can definitely pick your brain quite a bit. And in talking to, oh, yeah. in talking to Bo, I know there's, there's some for sure similarities in what I know he's seen out in Pennsylvania compared to what I've seen yeah. in like Northern Minnesota and Wisconsin. Absolutely. No, I, uh, I think cause you, you hunt like a lot of big woods too in places, correct? Yeah. I started to, in my earlier yep. years, I hunted a lot more cattail marshes and hills and the occasional mm-hmm. river bottom, but I've started to shift more towards the big woods in part yep. just because there's more land and less hunters. And true. And so you got a lot more opportunity there where you're not just bumping into guys. And especially in today's digital age, I mean, some of those other habitat types, everybody knows kind of the same baseline level of knowledge of what should be a good spot based on the map. And so you find a lot of hunter sign and you end up having to spend a lot more time anyway in those areas, figuring out where the deer have adjusted to based on the increased hunting pressure over the last several years. Yep. Nope. You're, uh, you're right up my alley. So, uh, I don't think we'll have any issues striking some conversation. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have probably are somewhat familiar with you through either your Instagram page or podcasts that you've been on in the past. But mm-hmm. for a rough idea, about how much land in total do you try and cover where you're at in Pennsylvania? I probably cover around 100,000 acres. Um, I mean, but I'm not going to say I'm covering it extremely thoroughly, like, there's spots in between that, that I'm not, but you know, there's just, you have your traditional spots. There's, and then there's constant change, uh, with logging and other things that go on every year that you move around within that hundred thousand. So, but overall it's probably like a hundred thousand acre square. Okay. And then within all that land and all that logging, is there any ag at all? Is there any acorns at all? Or is it mostly natural um, vegetation and browse? Zero ag. Uh, yeah, some years we have a great acorn crop. Last year we we hit, didn't have, literally didn't have an acorn. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things you can't bank on either. But um, I have a lot of experience hunting around oaks and different types of, you know, oaks. So, uh, you know, that's something that, that I've, you know, you know, kind of focused on a lot of years when you do have acorns you can see a huge shift once those acorns are falling like deer will start moving in or closer to those areas so uh uh you know i just but i don't bank on them because every year just you don't know what you're going to get on public land especially our public you can't put a food plot on it there's no baiting allowed so you just you don't know what to expect every year but you got to be ready to adapt every year yeah yeah and for us, acorns, at least the white oak acorns, a lot of times it seems like they'll start falling in roughly August time frame. And so I know that prior to that time, I'm unlikely to find them in those isolated oak pockets unless they happen to be there for other reasons. Um, mm-hmm. And what I, what I tried starting to do last year was isolating areas that were really fresh logged clear cuts, like zero to two years where you had a lot of that early growth. And yep. 
that's where I had focused a lot of my cameras on. And then typically as it would get later into the season, you know, late September, early October, I'd start to shift some of those cameras over to uh, pre-rut locations and, and really heavily on scrapes. But what I noticed yep. in some of the summertime photos that I would get is that I'd get a lot of doe pictures, right? And yep. I would get the occasional mature buck photo, like once every two weeks, as if almost as if like he was going to spend time there sometime in the year. And he was almost just kind of like, just spot checking it, right? He's just going through, but then he wouldn't be there for another two weeks. Yeah. I don't know if you saw my post the other day, but that's exactly what that was about. So I know just what you mean. Yep. And so do you find that they, like, if I'm getting a photo like that, is that's probably a good indicator that, Hey, this is probably going to be good. So it's good Intel. And at least lets you know, like what deer is a deer that's in the area from an inventory perspective. But if I'm yep. trying to figure it out from an early season hunt perspective, he's probably not going to be there right in mid September or October one when that season starts. And Correct. if they're still on the summer food source, if you have an early enough opener, which sometimes we do in, in Wisconsin and Minnesota, unless the acorns are falling, but for the sake of argument, mm -hmm. let's say I'm able to capitalize on a summer food source. Do you find that they oftentimes shift quite a ways from their summer to fall locations, or do you find that more often those mature bucks are, are not moving all that far? Most of the time, it's not all that far. And when I say far though, I'm saying, you know, less than a mile. Um, to some people, like if I, if I said, uh, you know, that buck shifted a mile, some people would be like, holy cow. But I've also seen bucks shift close to 10 miles before. So um, <laughs> a mile isn't really that bad where I come from. But I would say, you know, roughly roughly a mile or a little less is where I see some of that activity shift. And is a lot of people will think that these deer have shifted, but when they do break up from those bachelor groups, they tend to get more cover oriented, um, and they uh, they don't they're really, especially in the daytime, not moving through the same places they were in the summer. Like in the summer, uh, you talked about those young clear cuts. You'll see a buck four o'clock in a wide open clear cut that's a foot high but we've got three or other or you know three or four other bucks around them you won't see that that much in you know october once they split up you know they tend to hug the cover more so a lot of what i find is it's not so much shifting but it's just change of habits and travel routes throughout their core area okay so it's all if you were to if you were to slap a collar on that deer and watch what he does throughout the year He's going to have that one, you know, total home range and he's, he's on one corner of it, maybe during the summer, he might take excursions out to those other areas here and there, but when he's shifting then to the fall, he's only moving a little bit. Yep. And that overall, like the, the activity really, at least here really seems to shrink up. Um, it, uh, like you, even though the summer, there's not a lot of ranging either, but probably from like mid-September to mid-October, it just seems like a buck has just got a really small, you know, window of ground that he's, that he's kind of hanging in, especially in the daytime. And then all of a sudden, you know, mid to late October, then, you know, you'll start to see those scrapes opened up even around doe bedding and other areas. And that's when they start ranging more. So another, another issue that you have in the earlier part of the season is, they're just literally not moving a lot. So, um, and it, once again, it, it just, it fools people because, 
you know, in the summer, you were getting pictures here and there and scattered more. And because his his overall core area is so small in that earlier part of the season, if, if you're not, if you don't have cameras and stands in the exact right spots, you're not going to get any intel at all. Yeah, and that's something that I've been struggling a little bit as on for my summer stuff. But I also understand that exactly what you just explained is probably the reason that if I'm not getting very regular pictures, it just means I'm simply not close enough to where that deer is bedding during those exactly. early months. Exactly. Yep. And so if um, you if you thing. get those if you get those pictures early and it's like that occasional photo, it's like okay, I know he's in the area, but I'm not close enough. Like how do you use that information to know where to go from there? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's where I'm really big into clustering cameras. Like, and I like, you know, if I have a really good deer that I'm hunting, you know, maybe in like a half of a square mile, if it's a really good deer, I'll put out 20 or 30 cameras. Um, and you know, if you're watching them throughout the summer, like I said before, you'll catch them in more open woods here. Like, a really key summer spot would be like a young clear cut because you know, once again, we don't have ag or many fields and those, that type of summer food. So they really cling to those younger clear cuts where there's a lot of, you know, a lot of good green browse. So um, you'll see a lot of activity there in the summer, but then, you know, once again, once they, once they break from those bachelor groups, um, they tend to, you know, really spend a lot more time in thicker cover and that's where you're going to want to have already had those cameras ahead of time. Um, you know, we have like older clear cuts, uh, different types of brush. You know, I call one of my favorites is like beach brush. And remember, I'm hunting a lot of mountains too. So uh, I find the majority of my daytime activity and especially that time of year is going to be in that upper third of the, of the mountain. So uh, you're really just keying on, okay, where are these higher elevation, you know, thickets? And if you don't know where the bedding is um, from like postseason scouting, you kind of have to, you kind of have to go as, as the season's, you know, coming, passing by because you're probably not going to really pinpoint that down. But hopefully with your cameras, uh, you're going to be able to at least get some of the right intel, you know, in those higher elevation, you know, thickets and clear cuts. Okay, and those are the areas where you're expecting them to move to once they shift and break up from their bachelor groups. And so you're saying yep. that you're saying that you're even in the summertime now you're starting to prep, you're preparing for that movement, and you're starting to put cameras out in some of those areas now, even if you don't expect exactly. any pictures right away. Yep. Now a lot of my postseason scouting, like especially even if I was in a new area, I've already had that whole you could say that whole strategy, it's, it's already in place. Those cameras are already out. I've got those uh, spring and summer cameras out, but then I've already got ahead and put cameras, you know, where I found buck bedding, uh, where I believe, you know, bucks are shifting. And you can also use last year's sign too for some of that intel and predictions. So, you know, a lot of that work for me is already done, but it is, it is spread out. Like, I'm not, even though, you know, I'm saying I'm watching bucks in these young clear cuts, you know, this time of year and throughout most of the summer, sometimes it might be a mile away where I find something where I feel that bucks are going to shift, but it all just depends on the area. Uh, some areas are easier to figure out and some areas aren't. 
But I will say um, the more you get to know a certain area, you'll see these same patterns kind of similar throughout the years. And especially if it's the same deer you're hunting, you'll find those tendencies like he's here in the summer and he's here more in the fall. Sometimes you'll even see, you know, where a buck, he might have his own rut area too. So the more you get to know an area and, and even the deer there in general, every year you're going to get a little better at it. Gotcha. So if you're, if you're, let's say you have cameras out in the summer and you're just prospecting a new area. So maybe you have more cameras originally focused near the food sources, near those early young clear cuts and you get photos of just a a giant. You're like, Oh wow. I need to learn more about this particular deer. You might then look at the map and say, well, this area, you know, 500 yards away, this, you know, hilltop looks like it's got a, you know, a little older clear cut on it. This is an area where I've seen bucks bedding in before. Maybe I'll go pepper that area with cameras now. And then there's this other one that's, you know, to the east instead of the north or whatever. Maybe he'll move there. So I'll put cameras there too, just in case and see where he shows up. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I do, especially if uh, it's, you know, like you just brought up a really key point, like this, you know, here in another month or two, we're going to start to get an idea exactly that the deer we're going to be hunting as far as antler growth and sometimes just a buck will just show up out of nowhere or you just you didn't expect a deer to to have that jump or you know be a deer of of a certain caliber that that would catch your interest so a lot of that uh decision and planning really does happen in the summer and many times i've been thrown off like i was not planning on hunting this area or this particular deer but now that he just blew up 30 inches from last year i got to try to figure something out and i will then throughout the summer um use that those same strategies and tactics that that, you know that that i've mentioned to you and you just brought up and another thing that you can do is you can still go in the into those like those bedding areas where you feel that are only going to be used in the fall you can go in there now still and even a little bit later in the summer because chances are they're probably not using those right now. Um, and, you know, you can play it. You can be a little more risky this time of year, but say come August, September, early October, that's when I think you got to be more careful. So you don't want to wait too long either to figure some of this stuff out. Yeah, I know last year I did several scouting trips in July because it was just the time that I had for that area, and it was brutal, miserable, 90-degree heat. And <laughs> yeah. some of those areas, like you said, they're thicker and you expect the deer to show up there in the fall. And because of that, it was like, not only did you have the heat, but you got briars and high stem count and, you know, just not a fun day, but I saw no <laughs> negative, no negative impact in terms of what I saw in the fall. I mean, the deer should using that. No problem. Yeah. No. And there, there's really, um, Anytime I go in the woods, it can be, and it doesn't have to just be spring or summer, but there's always, uh, there's always something you're going to learn out there. I know there's maybe more key or more important times to scout, but there's not a day, 365 days a year that you can not go in the woods and take something out of it when it comes to deer scouting. So there really is no time of year when someone can say, don't go deer scouting. It's not worth it. You're not going to gain anything if, if that makes sense. No, that makes a, a bunch of sense, but I guess to expand on that a little bit further, are there certain things that you'd be more cautious of, uh, especially this time of the year 
or this, you know, upcoming summer? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still somewhat cautious, like, uh, even though, you know, we brought up how bucks will shift, but you know, I'm, I'm not like, I'm still not beating up on them this time of year. I don't want them going into hunting season, even though it's months away. I don't even want them to feel pressured at all. Or, you know, I, I just want them to live their normal casual lives. Like nothing's going wrong. Um, I will still, I mean, some areas I will go in, like if it's, uh, say if it's just a for sure feeding area or maybe I could relate to someone like on ag land, like if, if they're coming out and do a field or feeding on a crop every evening, I don't, you can, you can glass those fields. You can probably walk through those fields and, you know, those young clear cuts more where that, you know, for sure that they're just mainly spending daytime activity, but you don't want to be bumping those deer a lot because you get the right deer that's been around and he's been hunted you could easily push that deer a mile or two or, you know, it doesn't matter. Even though he may have a good idea that it's not hunting season, it doesn't matter what time of year. They don't want to be bothered. So you still have to be real careful on, on, on your impact, whatever time of year you're scouting. You kind of just want to, you know, probe at certain areas. You know, that's why I love, you know, the amount of ground that I have, you know, several hundred thousand acres here. I don't have to beat up on the same deer in the same area all the time. I can this day check this area and I might not go back in there for a couple of weeks or maybe a month, but I'm scouting constantly just all kinds of different areas. Okay. And is that kind of like a, a good rule of thumb where if a guy, let's say he's got, you know, his, his area, maybe it's not a hundred thousand acres he's trying to cover, but maybe it's five or two or whatever. Mm-hmm. Would, would you say that if he's going to go out and, put cameras in an area and maybe cluster them and maybe have some other cameras just sitting near food areas that like checking those cameras once every couple of weeks is probably about the right cadence. Yeah. I, I don't think that has much of an effect at all. Um, especially, you know, it, it, when you talk about the, you know, the ones that were related to food, I, I believe that around a food source, deer are going to mainly come there in the evening or early morning or during night hours. Anyways, they're always more, uh, they always have that mindset that, okay, my bedding area is where I don't want to be, you know, to be in intruder having intrusion with other people and hunters. Like the bedding is, is where you really have to be careful. If you know where those deer are even bedding in the summertime, just stay out of there. But, you know, food sources, some I have spots where you know I've even went in once a week carefully, you know, in the summer, and it didn't seem to have you know that big of an impact. And that's just a big reason why I like to, you know, cluster cameras because I have cameras where I feel that okay I can still get good consistent intel uh, because I know this area is mainly just used in the day to, or at nighttime, and I can go in there and even if the deer catch my scent or know my presence. I'm not really bothering them because they're not there in the daytime. So knowing where your deer are bedding and where they're feeding, um, that's, that's pretty key as far as, you know, you needing to know how to not pressure those deer and to keep them, you know, uh, using their normal pattern. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing I did a couple of times last year, I guess I started to do it more and I never really had done a whole lot in the past was, some areas I would check at night because just, yeah. the, you know, driving distance and 
like logistically it was either you scout at night or you don't scout that day or weekend or whatever. And mm-hmm. what I found was that in some of those areas you'd be able to get into, and certainly you're still leaving scent, but at least you weren't kicking deer out of some of those beds that they might've been in during the day. Exactly. But yep. also uh, it seemed like when you would see deer out in the feeding areas, cause I mean, especially some of those fresh, fresher clear cuts, I mean, it's like you can, if you got a headlamp on, you can see the eyeballs out there, you know, quarter mile away. It seemed like they almost, you know, it was like driving by them on a car. Like you didn't, they didn't really spook. They would just kind of watch you go by, especially if you, you know, were walking or bike riding out there at a consistent pace and weren't like coming at them. Yep. Yep. Nope. That's exactly right. And, and honestly, like there's times where I feel that, you know, I, I was watching bucks, uh, cause I take a, even like a lot of rides, like on back roads and, you know, throughout the summer and the evenings. And, um, we don't have so much for field, like I said, but I'll still, you know, get a lot of good Intel just in the evenings driving back roads. Um, and it doesn't seem like driving has any impact at all, but, um, even like you brought up, like as far as walking, uh, it just it there there's almost like a, a gray area or neutral area or neutral zone like you deer will put up with your presence to a certain extent as you know maybe as long as you're not right on top of them but and and another thing too is if you know it's just a feeding area in the summer and i've also seen this happen where you can you can make those deer go nocturnal but it doesn't seem to push them out of the area. They'll just come in and feed at night. So, you know, once again, just, just know where your bedding is, know where your feeding is, pursue the feeding areas more. Don't, you know, try not to disturb those bedding areas, even in the summer, a whole lot. And uh, those deer should be somewhat relaxed and comfortable and much easier to hunt, you know, coming the next upcoming season. And do you find that, you know, if you have, different bucks that have different personalities. Some are more susceptible to getting pushed or bumped out of an area than others. And let's say if you say buck, buck a, it's like, Oh, I've, I've been able to get away with a lot on this one. I could probably check cameras and, you know, put a a few more in that area and be a little bit more liberal with how I get my Intel. Whereas another buck, it's like, Oh, I walked in there once and he moved a mile. I got to be more careful with that one. Yep. Nope. I've seen that so many times. Like, you you hunt one buck and you try to use what he did and how he acted and that you know and you use that towards hunting another buck and then he acts completely different they're they're just like us humans they're individuals they uh you know i see it with almost any animal even i've had different dogs over the years that they're all just a little bit different and uh but i will say you you can't you you know, some people might disagree, but you can never really go wrong with being a little too on the cautious side. Um, being a little too aggressive, although maybe uh, you'll have, you know, you might strike and hit a couple more home runs that way, but being more cautious doesn't seem to ever hurt versus, you know, being too aggressive. So uh, you just, you know, you almost just got to play your cards right. And uh, in my opinion, I'm, I always try to play things a little more on the safer side. Okay. Yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of fall in between. I almost feel like it it seems like if I, if I only know of like one deer that I'm after in an area and Mm -hmm. it's like some part of me wants to be more cautious because I want to blow that one opportunity. 
Whereas like yep. if I got three bucks in an area that I would shoot, it's like, I feel like I'm like, I should be able to be more aggressive because if I screw up on one, like there's two others that, that I could have the opportunity True. at. But yep. I think some of that is just like my emotions get, getting in the way and, and, you know, bumping in front of the logic. Sure. Yep. Um, another thing too, and I, I'm basing that example more on scouting. Like I think come hunting season, there are times you need to be more aggressive or say like it's early October and you look at the forecast and for the next two weeks, you got like a three day window of good weather, maybe like a really good cold front. Like I say, that's when you go all in and, uh, hunt, hunt a certain buck really hard at a key time, you know, be aggressive there. But my overall point is like through scouting, like scouting is obviously trying to build up, uh, you know, your success, uh, you know, ahead of time and, and learning more about the deer you hunt. And you don't want to let all that work go to waste by like over scouting and over pressuring deer before, you know, hunting season. So you just, you're better off playing it safe. And, uh, like me, I, I'm a big believer in running a lot of cameras, um, you get so much intel off those stinking things that uh, you don't have to be uh, constantly, you know, tromping through the woods and covering every square inch, you know, especially closer to hunting season. You know, you can stay back, let your cameras do the work for you. And, you know, if you cluster them and have them in the right areas, you can really, uh, you can really get the intel and, and know where to set up once hunting season comes. Okay. And some of these, early clear cuts can be quite large. And yep. from a camera perspective, oftentimes I feel like I'm at a huge disadvantage versus like getting at a high point and glassing a whole bunch at once. Do you think that there's maybe some benefit to pre-glassing an area before you ever put cameras out? I know sometimes oh, I, 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 I put, I put cameras out and it's like, Oh, well that one didn't get, you know, any pictures, maybe got a couple does. Um, yep. but, maybe that camera was just off by 40 yards. And if I'd have had it 40 yards over on that same clear cut, maybe I would have gotten a mature buck, you know, three times a week. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, if you're able to, to glass and, and if, if really, if you're able to glass, you probably don't even need to run a lot of cameras because if you can stay back from a distance and never put human scent in that area. And, you know, especially if you're a mobile hunter, and, you know, try to get a, a, some kind of pattern figured out where, cause sometimes too, um, depending on where you're hunting, uh, if it's like, uh, if you have like a September archery season, you can still catch some of those bucks in their, you know, in their summer patterns coming right into the early part of the season. So if I had a, a, a good spot that I could glass and nail down a pattern, I would probably in that situation, in that particular spot, not run that many cameras because you're, I mean, what, why not, uh, just back out and learn everything from a distance. If, if you see what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 Do no, you, absolutely. Do you find that like, okay, let's, let's say for instance, you're still trying to figure out, you know, best travel routes to get to that food source for those or where those deer just might be bedding summertime. Like, you know, if you can get close to that, you're probably going to get more pictures, better pictures, et cetera. If you have a, yep. a feeding area, and around that feeding area, there's different options. Maybe there's like, you know, creeks, water, there's thicker, you know, five-year-old clear cuts. You got maybe 15-year-old clear cuts that you can easily walk through. You got mature oak stands. Like, do you find that bucks will tend to spend more of their time 
outside of the feeding areas in certain types of habitat or certain stem count? Um, once again, it really seems to just depend on the time of the year. Like uh, you brought up acorns. I I see it at least my way. Um, I mean, they will still, you know, they'll still browse, doesn't matter what time of the year. But for like a primary food source, as soon as the acorns, fall that always seems to be like the primary food source um but you know it all really just depends on the time of the year like uh you'll see them in those younger clear cuts right out in the wide open till roughly like mid-september then everything's nocturnal they're back into those uh you know wherever there's thicker cover or sometimes even uh you have to keep you know on a public land scenario uh, you have to keep hunting pressure in mind. I've seen where bucks, I kid you not, have, have bedded a mile or more away to their primary food source and to somewhere, you know, just to get away from people. So um, it just all depends on the time of the year and the scenario. But I will say the closer you get to like, always seems like the closer you get to October, the more, I almost want to say trickier and harder these deer you know get get to hunt and they just it's almost as if at least up my way our our archery season doesn't ever start till usually around the first saturday october but i always get so excited every year because all all summer and then roughly till about mid-september it like it's like clockwork with some of these bucks and then mid-september comes and everything changes so you know once again it really depends on the time of the year okay and i've heard and read that deer can get most of their moisture content from the plants that they eat. But do you yep. see any kind of preference in, in the summer for where these bucks are spending, spending time? If it's like, you know, a darker Creek bottom that might be a little bit cooler than the rest of the area, or if they're, you mm-hmm. know, they might be just as likely to go sit out on an open Southern facing hillside in the summer. Yep. No, that's a really good point. Um, and around here, and I don't know if they do it over your way, but it's called select clear cutting. They really do a lot of that anymore where they will only clear cut and take out certain trees. Um, it's not like uh, they just go into an area and just take everything out. But these that, or that strategy or that type of logging really has a great effect on, on deer because they're leaving a lot of larger canopy trees and which really is important in the summer for bedding because you will not see a buck bedding in a even if the the clear cut is three four foot high or high enough to where a deer feels safe and could bed and feed in there um you won't see them bedding in there you know on a hot sunny day they they will go wherever they got to go to find cooler and you know just more shadier ground so in cover so that is something you have to keep in mind um but we have so much of that select clear cutting anymore where just seems like that's where the bucks are in the summertime they they bed and feed within a lot of these clear cuts once they get thick enough because they've you know the the foresters and loggers have left you know so many trees still standing and especially if there's evergreen in there too like pine hemlock or spruce they will, you know, those places will be hot spots, and even sometimes in hunting season as well. Okay. Yeah, we definitely have a mix, at least by us. Some areas, they just flat out bulldoze. It's like there's not a tree in sight. And then there's yep. other areas where they leave 
Usually it seems like if they're going to leave trees, oftentimes they'll leave the oaks. It's where you might have sure. like an, an oak stand and then it just grows up thick in and around it. Um, and then you have other areas where it's like you just got those bigger oaks, but then the canopy is there. So that not much, not as much grows underneath and you can almost see easier underneath in that understory. Yep. And those areas yep. might be adjacent to some of those flat bulldozed areas that are just ultra thick. Yep. Yeah. For, for the summer, like I said, you got to keep, uh, uh, shade and, and temperature, all those things, uh, or, you know, pretty, pretty key as far as, you know, finding the right spots to get on summer deer, summer bucks, especially. Now you did bring up sort of brought up water. I will say that, um, from my own experience, I mean, yeah, they will drink regular water any time of year and even some in the summer, but I have had specific bucks that I've spent a lot of time scouting and only or mainly based on trail cam photos that I do think a very high percentage of their water comes from what they're eating in the summertime. Cause like I've, I've had bucks that lived in clear cuts that were a mile or two away from water. And it just hardly seemed like they were uh, leaving, you know, it just seemed like that's, that they never came out of these clear cuts, but I think there, the water was in what they were eating. So uh, I, I think that is something to keep in mind as well. But I will say um, it seems like if you have a really dry fall, and this is talking hunting season, I actually think even early November, late October, if it's, if it's really dry then, I actually think water uh, is a really key thing to focus on in hunting season because a lot of that browse is, you know, there's not as much green, especially after frost and, and, you know, lack of sunlight. So a lot of that browse is dried up and they do have to seek out water sources then. Okay. No, that makes total sense. And that's where it gets yep. a little bit more complicated here too, because we usually got plenty of water around in the format of swamps or even just like oh, pot, sure. potholes where you got like rolling terrain and water just collects in the bottoms. You end up with a little hundred acre pond or a hundred foot pond. Yep. Yep. Um, I will say here, uh, two years ago, I've never seen it in my whole, you know, lifetime of hunting, but we had such a bad drought, you know, and it really started more in the late summer, but I didn't really see the effect until hunting season came. And cause it's all mountains. What happened was, is, uh, I'm always pre- prepared to hunt those higher elevations because that's especially where mature bucks, you know, 99% of the time our mature bucks are in the higher elevations, but because it was so dry, all the water just got trapped, you know, down in the bottoms because all those little, uh, springs that come off the mountains, they were all dried up and the only leftover water was down in the bottoms. And it had a huge impact on the deer behavior, um, where deer were, all the deer were down low. Even mature bucks come like late October. I've never seen that ever happen in my life, but I learned a lot from that because I, you know, that was one of those scenarios where, uh, I wasn't prepared for it at all. But, um, uh, that's when I really saw water have a huge impact, uh, you know, on deer hunting because, you know, in a mountain situation, if gravity is going to pull the water uh, down in the bottoms and they must have needed that water pretty badly because that's where they were all hanging. Huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, that makes, that makes a hundred percent sense, especially if you, you figure they're, you know, 
they don't otherwise need to move because they get their water from food, which honestly, that's something I didn't yep. know until a few years ago. I was just assuming that they drank water rather than getting that content from the vegetation that they were eating. Yep. No, once again, it all just deer. It's just, it's crazy. Like, uh, throughout the time of year, it's just amazing how they evolve and adapt and how much they move around and have to adjust to, as you know, nature and the woods are just constantly changing. So, uh, you really just, if you're a good biologist and, and you know, just a lot about nature that really has an impact on how you are as a deer hunter. Yeah. And we had really severe droughts last year in certain parts of Minnesota. This year, I know some Mm -hmm. of the areas that I hunt, even in like North Dakota, it's like unreal flooding. Um, where it's like, like the campground we stayed at under underneath like two feet of water. And so wow. it'll be interesting to see how that might, I'm assuming like, again, like, a, I don't know if this is the case or not. I'm assuming that it'll be back down to somewhat normal levels by hunting season, but I'm trying to think right. ahead and, you know, assume what might happen or how the deer might treat that differently or how the vegetation might be different you know, are, are things sure. going to die or, or be like rotted out because they had too much water and maybe that'll push deer in certain areas, focusing on the high ground, or maybe they'll all be back to normal. But those are all kind of thoughts that are swimming around in my head. Yep. And those are thoughts that you really need to be, uh, thinking of this time of year. And there's a lot of change this time of year. Like the summer, um, really does have a big impact towards hunting season because, Right now, you can almost, probably within another few weeks, with a good set of binoculars, you're going to be able to find where there's acorns or is there not going to be acorns. Um, You can monitor clear-cut growth. You might have a clear-cut last year that you were hunting that was only, you know, maybe a foot high just starting out. Well, this summer, with the right rain and the right weather, it might be three or four feet high, which that can turn that clear-cut into an area where they're going to both feed and bed. So there's just, there's a lot of things, you know, mainly this time of year that, you know, deer hunters need to keep an eye on because if you're already ahead of the game and you're, you're able to understand, you know, how, how this stuff is going to impact your hunting season, uh, you're not going to have to figure it all out in a hurry once hunting season comes. Okay. And, and you said one thing there, that you also mentioned a little bit before earlier and that, that one scenario and where they might be bedding and feeding in the same location. Um, could you describe a little bit more scenarios and where you might see that and when you might not see them bedding and feeding in the exact same clear cut? Yep. Um, and I will say probably at least 50% of the biggest deer I've ever encountered or, hunted um have lived in a clear cut of that scenario i do believe that a mature buck wants to be somewhere where he doesn't have to move a lot and and basically what those clear cuts are are doing is it's both food and bed all within and they're nasty thick they're generally like usually anywhere from about four to 10 years old, probably more closer to four to eight years old. Um, there's still a ton of browse that's within reach. Um, there's still browse that's coming up every year. Um, and nobody goes in these things because it's like a jungle. We have a, like a lot of blackberry and raspberry here. And that's what you find in a lot of these clear cuts um, is 
and it's if you go in there they will literally just shred your clothes but that is just like it creates like a, a big buck sanctuary really and um you'll find that uh wherever you have a clear cut of that scenario um they'll be good from summer right in through hunting season they're they're just they're basically like gold mines um they're kind of few and far between you know you know where i'm from it's not like uh they're everywhere but um they're extremely good places for for big bucks because you know like i said they they don't have to leave they have plenty of cover uh nobody's ever going in there but uh you know the, the biggest key is just monitoring them because uh, if one year you don't think it, you know, it, like I brought up earlier that it might only be a foot or two high and it's just a feeding area one year, then the next year it blossoms and, you know, turns into the most perfect whitetail habitat there is. And also another thing that will happen is it won't stay like that forever either. Eventually it will grow up and get more open and it might just be served as a bedding area or it might not be used at all. So, um, but mainly what I find is probably like those four to eight year old clear cuts. They can be really, really prime hot spots. And is that like, is that like one to two inch diameter trees? Like maybe 10, yeah, 10 12 part, foot tall? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll find a little bit of a variety in there. You also find a lot of plants like, you know, more like grassy type plants and flowering plants, um, that's a, you know, a ton of food for them, you know, especially this time of year. It really just seems like also once the, once it gets to where a buck is having a hard time, you know, reaching the browse and deer in general, when it gets like, you know, five or six high, because they will browse so heavily that, you know, it's just amazing. You can literally see like, okay, everything on the on these saplings until about six feet up there's not a limb on it and that's all based on mainly browsing because eventually you know the deer just couldn't get up there high enough and once the the food lacks within there um it's just not the most perfect white tail world and i talk a lot about um uh, a dominant buck in a certain area generally it's a really big buck he will he will live wherever the most perfect best place is to live in that area and that's just about as good as it gets in a big woods public land environment for a white-tailed deer and like i said i've encountered major giant bucks in those those kind of places okay so if it's like you come up to this clear cut and it's like you'd have to swim across the top to get through it because it's so thick <laughs> and a buck could probably not walk through it it's probably not old enough yet but if it's, if it's big yep. enough where it's starting to get easy, like really easy to walk through and, you know, most of that vegetation is getting too high, it might be on the late side. So somewhere between those two extremes. Exactly. And I will say, like I brought up the age class, you can't always go by age class. Like I've watched clear cuts where um, one clear cut in three years grew completely differently than the other one. That can be affected by deer density, I think acid rain, weather conditions, and a lot of different factors. So, you know, age class really you can't always go by. Um, You just got to kind of put boots on the ground and check them out, kind of like you said. But I will say you'll be surprised. I've seen clear cuts that, like, okay, there's no way a deer is going in there. Um, 
and there's a giant buck in there just for the fact that no human being is going to even want to go into that area and he knows that and i always say their their number one uh thing on their mind every day is just to survive another day and they know that we're their greatest enemies or threats and predators so uh whatever way uh he can constantly stay away and wherever he has to go and whatever he has to do that's that's where you're going to find a big old mature buck. Okay. And so how do you monitor an area like that? If you find one of these clear cuts, you think this could be a good one. Do you put any yep. cameras in the interior or do you just kind of pepper them around the edges on the corners on the, Main, on the straights? Yeah. Mainly around the edges. Um, I, I do tend to go in there in the postseason, talking like, you know, late winter, early spring. They're a lot easier to get into that time of year. Usually. And I, I'll also try to locate actual, you know, buck beds within there. But um, most of the time, they're extremely difficult to get inside and hunt just because they're so thick and it's so hard to sneak in there quietly. And I just swear a lot of, a lot of bucks position themselves in places that, like, they just know there's nobody who's going to be able to come in here and, you know, get on me or set up a stand or it's just – they're, they are very difficult to, to hunt on the interior, but uh, the exterior, you know, right along the edges, um, they can be pretty good, except for the fact that I still find a lot of that activity is right about at dusk. Um, I, I had one buck that I hunted for several years in a clear cut, just as we were talking, I, I named the deer Crazy 12, um, but I, I hunted him in this same clear cut for a few different years. And unless I got a cold front in, in October, I would never get a daylight picture of that deer on the outside edge of the clear cut. He would never come out unless there was a cold front. Um, but that's how I hunted him. And one year I actually got a shot at him on a cold front, October 13th. Um, and I can also say that that deer lived in that clear cut basically from April right till the rut started. It was such a prime classic, you know, sanctuary and just had the food and bedding all within that that deer never had to leave and and for several years uh, always a big deer would take over that clear cut so hmm. uh, now it's gotten a little bit older not quite as good but that's just part of clear cut hunting they're you know they're they're going to eventually change and grow up and you just got to move on okay i've got some other thoughts and strategy questions for hunting those types of of areas which I might save for yeah. our next podcast, but yeah, that's absolutely fine. I know we've been <laughs> talking for a while. Um, so I guess this is giving me some really good food for thought because like, as you're explaining this and I don't know, I'm sure the, the listeners are probably getting out of this. What is a combination of what we're saying compared to what they've seen in, in real life. If they found these types yep. of areas, a lot of the stuff that you're saying, I've, you know, how now had a couple of years of seeing it and, and firsthand. And so when you're explaining some of this stuff immediately, like, you know, three areas are popping into my head. I'm like, Oh, this, this is like <laughs> what Steve is talking about right now. Here's how I can, you know, take this summer and, and try and pepper some more cameras in that area or learn a little bit more about it. I have done quite yep. a bit of postseason scouting in some of these areas. I did find beds in the interior of some of these clear cuts, if it's, you know, scrapes on the edges um, yep. water sources in the interior. If there's like a little depression that water collects in and, 
the historical knowledge now of a couple of years built up of knowing which ones get hot in late October and, and even in November. Um, and so sure. I'm sure some of these areas will just continue to get, well, some will continue to get better. Some might die off in terms of their, I guess, attractiveness to, to bigger box, which is something I'll just have to monitor. Yep. Sounds like in the summer, though, what I can do this year that I haven't done in years past is some of these key areas where I think these these are going to get hot, put cameras in there now. Or I guess maybe not now, but sometimes throughout the summer, make sure that I got good battery setups, solar panels, you know, if necessary, uh, unless, I'm, unless I'm checking them more regularly so that I can be ready to go. Yep. And if I'm surprised and it's like, hey, this buck is in here right now in June and he's still in here in mid-September, well, I think I can go in and kill him, you know, potentially early season. Um, so this is, this is all giving me some really good, really good thoughts. Yep. And we can, like I said, another time we can dive into, you know, there's so much uh, we, more we can talk about in relation to clear cuts and, and scouting them in the summer and preparing, you know, for the hunting season. So, uh, I, I definitely think, uh, there's a lot more good talk yet to come. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there was a couple other questions that were specific to summer and or just trail camera placement in general. We talked about clustering. We talked about where to place cameras around either potential bedding areas that you think might be there in the fall and or food sources that you think they're using now. Uh, We talked about how some deer might be more or less skittish. So especially if you think you might be onto a skittish deer, do you put your cameras up elevated or do you typically keep them down toward ground level yep i almost always have my cameras at ground level i've you know if somebody doesn't know a lot of how i do things um i like them at ground level just because i like to get as much range as possible i i focus a lot on scrapes and i've learned over the years that a lot of bucks will come in downwind of your scrapes and actually never work them sometimes they'll just scent check them sometimes 20, 30, 40 yards away um, and, you know, just pass by downwind. So I'm always trying to get as much field of view out of my cameras as possible. If I'm angling down um, and I'm really losing a lot of that distance. Now, I do think it can help some, you know, with the skittish deer by putting up and in the tree. And also, uh, I think you're going to have less issues with other hunters and even bears. But um, for me, at least, I, you know, I have probably 200 trail cameras. I don't always have 200 out, but I will say on any given day, I probably have close to 100 out year round. And I just believe that a lot of my deer have gotten used to my cameras. I have, I kid you not, I have cameras that have been on a certain tree over five years and have never moved. So um, the deer just get used to them. When, when you're using that kind of trail camera method and strategy. Yeah. Yeah. When you brought up the bears, I just remember that last year, I think I had 40% of my cameras messed with by bears throughout the course of the summer. Yeah, exactly. They were worse worse than hunters. That can really hurt. Yeah. When you're trying to stay out of an area and, uh, you know, and you say, well, I'm not going to go in for a couple months just to play it safe. And then when you do go in there two months later, and you realize just a week after you were there two months ago, a bear came by and smashed your camera or knocked it to a position where it's not monitoring that spot well. That's really frustrating. 
So, you know, it's just one of those things that if you have bears, it's just part of the game. Uh, just hopefully uh, you get lucky every now and then and you can have your cameras not messed with. I've actually had them climb trees too, though. I, I do think that helps, but I will bring up, even if you put a camera 10 feet up in a tree, I've, I've had bears come up there and get them too. So it's crazy. Yeah. I wish uh, maybe somebody knows. And if somebody's listening to this podcast and they've found something, that's a good bear deterrent. Um, yep. We'd definitely be interested. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. My dad, uh, you know, not to go too far off subject, but just, uh, about two weeks ago, a bear broke into his truck and smashed uh, two of his windows out. So <laughs> all for about three uh, leftover Arby's French fries. So um, <laughs> it's just, uh, they're just, they're very frustrating animals to deal with. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I hate bears, but they, uh, they can be frustrating for deer hunters to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a couple big ones around in the place I've been hunting a couple, a couple that are probably pushing, I'd say a pretty realistic 300 plus. Yep. No, they're, they can do a lot of damage and they're, I, I don't know exactly how much food a bear like that eats per day, but I don't think he's going a minute throughout the day, probably without food on his mind or eating. So they're, they're, they're a big pest. And, and another thing too, like, because we, at times we have, you know, a lot of bears, even where I'm at, and I'll find where they have even pushed deer out of certain areas. You get, you get the right food source and you get so many bears in there that, uh, they'll have an effect on just where the deer are living as well. So, huh. uh, they have a big impact for, as for deer hunters and, you know, in a lot of different ways. Interesting. Yeah. I've, I've noticed at least where I'm at, bears and deer will live in extremely well so I, i'll say this i feel like based on what i see on my cameras they live in pretty close proximity to one another because i might have mm -hmm. a bear that walks by a camera and then 20 minutes later a deer will walk by or vice versa uh it might be a doe it might be a buck but what i don't have visibility to is how are those two animals interacting in scenarios where they're not just you know walking by a camera like Mm -hmm. does that buck is he bedded in such a way where he knows where that bear is at and so he knows if there's ever going to be an issue he can get out of there and otherwise as long as he knows where that bear is he doesn't really care you know that, that's what i don't exactly have pinned down yeah i think i think uh i don't know if the bedding in, has as much of an impact like just the way bears are constantly roaming um i, I feel that deer get away from bears when it comes to bedding but uh, the food sources is where I've seen a major impact in deer activity. Like the last time we had a really good white oak acorn crop, um, I wasn't hardly finding any deer into the white oak acorns simply because there were bears in there like crazy. That's how I, I just really figured that out that way. Like huh. I had, you know, several cameras on this one. There was a white oak ridge and uh, there was no reason for that not to be you know, loaded with deer and all I got was bear, but the next ridge over was just red oaks and I was getting no bear, but, and some really good bucks, just, the, just one ridge over across the valley. But the bears literally just took over the white oak acorns when that's really where the deer should have been. Huh? Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause that the place I hunt, that could definitely be, that's something I'm going to pay attention to. Cause that could definitely play out in this area. Yep. yep. The bears, I mean, they're like, they're like deer like us i mean 
you can throw a stake out there, a dead fish, and you know maybe a rotten bird. Chances are he's going to eat the stake, and deer just you know the same way too. They'll they'll take whatever is you know either tastes best or most beneficial to their bodies. And bears are the same way. It must be those white oak acorns are a huge treat to bears because, like I said, the last time we had a good white oak crop, they really uh, they they just swarmed those white oaks. Yeah, I don't claim to be a bear hunting expert by any means, but I know in, when I've listened to some of the people who hunt in the mountains in, like, the Carolinas or even in, like, Arkansas, I think, you know, acorns in places where they can't bait, that's something that they key in on in certain elevations where they happen to be dropping and that sort of thing. Yep. Yep, exactly. So just definitely have to keep those things in mind. Um, I try to, you know, if I'm uh, – Another thing too, like it might be a really good spot for deer where I have a camera, but I have found that, you know, once a bear starts messing with my camera, they, they seem to be creatures of habit. They come back through. I've, I've never had a bear that like he only messed with it once and left it alone. It seems like they'll mess with your camera every time they come back through. So if you're having bear problems, it's probably better off just move on. Okay. And then do you, do you spray your cameras in the summertime with permethrin or on the tree around the camera? Try to keep the ants out. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've heard of, I've heard of that. Um, I, I never seem to have a huge impact, but it sounds like a great idea. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in even other sprays, like I've heard of people using like ammonia and stuff to keep bears away. Like, yeah, it's something that would be new to me, but it sounds like a great idea just to, the way to, to have your cameras less affected. Okay. Yeah, I've I've definitely had cameras that in the past that were just infested to the point where they stopped working. Um, <laughs> and, and last year I sprayed permethrin around all of my cameras, you know, kind of above and below on the trunk of the tree and mm-hmm. didn't have any issues. But I, wow. like I said, I had, you know, 40% of them had issues anyways with the bears. <laughs> yeah you eliminate one issue and then a new issue comes yep <laughs> it almost made me to the point where i was like do i even want to like if i'm not planning on hunting these deer until late october and i know where they're going to show up it's like do i even run you know summer trail cameras i almost got to that point but it's like yep. i'd still like to no. learn as much as i can and get that inventory yeah or and especially if you are going into the season with this you know certain standards you it's it's so cool to know by like maybe mid-august like okay this is going to be the biggest deer in this area or just watching those antlers grow throughout the summer is a lot of fun well i think you answered a lot of the summer scouting and trail camera questions that i had and i think for the next episode that we do together i'm almost thinking we can maybe dive into some of those more hunt specific strategies once we get you know further into the fall and yep. maybe even some tendencies that you have seen from all the hunt experiences and all of the clients you've had and all the camera photos, maybe even sure. some, some correlations, you know, to either certain weather patterns or, or things of that nature. Yep, absolutely. We will um, try to remember so I don't forget. I'd like to talk about the buck I killed last fall and, you know, how how I used summer intel on that year and actually one of one of the bigger deer one of my clients killed there's just some interesting facts on what that deer did in the summer versus what it did in the fall so i'd like to bring that stuff up because i think for the most part you know yeah we all 
or enjoying the you know watching the bucks grow and all that kind of stuff but how you can use summer intel and and use it to a certain way to benefit you come hunting season like that's what it really all boils down to so i think we should definitely dig into that awesome sounds good it was good talking to you steve all right thanks a lot for having me i'll be we'll definitely be in touch That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Empire on Instagram and Facebook. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY underscore Sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.